Hi everyone, it's Stu here, your dulcet-toned podcast host. Are you tired of ads interrupting your favourite true crime podcast? British Murders, of course. I mean, who needs a 60-second detour when you're in the midst of an immensely well-told story? The irony of this being an ad isn't lost on me, but I wanted to let you know that you can listen to British Murders completely ad-free by signing up for a Patreon membership. For as little as £3 per month, you'll get early access to ad-free episodes as well as a heap of other benefits. I've got a fair few bonus episodes you can sink your teeth into and every Monday I drop a new episode of the British Murders Weekly Journal. If you enjoy exclusive giveaways, my Patreon has those too. Head to patreon.com slash British Murders and choose either my OBE or KBE slash DBE tier to rid yourself of those pesky adverts. Plus, you'll be helping support your favourite podcast so that I can offer you even more content going forward. I'd say that I'll shut up now, but you've got the rest of the episode to listen to. Back to you, Stu. You are now listening to British Brothers, the True Cry Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is the 8th episode of Season 8. Before we get into it, let's break the ice as always. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this. Two facts that sound like bullshit. Did you know that there are mysterious hums in part of the world that only certain members of the population can hear? I'm not talking about the Matthew McConaughey hum. This is apparently at a frequency that only some strange people can hear. Have you ever heard a hum? Please let me know if you have. Now it's time for the show's final opening icebreaker segment. Random quote of the day. You have to be yourself. Stay true to who and what you are. If people still like you, that's great. If they don't, that's their problem. That quote was by former policeman Sting. This week's case was suggested by AGW on Instagram. We're in the northeast county of Northumberland this week, a place I've been a couple of times with my family. Here are five quickfire facts about the scenic county. Number one, Northumberland's coast is safeguarded as a designated area of outstanding natural beauty. Number two, Northumberland holds 33 miles of Hadrian's Wall, and you can follow it along discovering spectacular viewpoints, ancient artefacts, and Roman forts along the way. Number three, Annick Castle is an 11th century castle located in Northumberland. It's where some Harry Potter scenes were filmed. Number four, Holy Island is one of the best and most beautiful places to explore in the county. It's only accessible by a causeway, and it acted as the setting for author L.J. Ross's first book in the DCI Ryan Mystery Series. L.J. Ross hails from Northumberland. And number five, Northumberland has its own flag. The red and yellow community flag proclaims the unique identity of this historic English county. There's many more interesting facts about Northumberland. I highly recommend you visit there if you're ever in the northeast of England. As of the 2021 census, the estimated population of Northumberland is 320,600. Let me quickly advise you that this podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. As always, listener discretion is advised. The two people involved in this week's story are a mother and daughter pair with the same name. Both are called Odessa Carey, 
So for the sake of making this story as straightforward as possible, I'll be referring to Odessa Carey Sr. as Odessa Sr. and Odessa Carey Jr. as Odessa Jr. It's a complex case, so I'll do my best to make it as followable as possible. Now, this episode features an extraordinarily heavy amount of content focusing on severe mental health conditions. Therefore, I am cautious about referring to Odessa Jr. as a villain for this episode, like I typically would, even though what she did was absolutely horrendous. In researching this case, I read the entirety of the Joint Domestic Homicide Review and Independent Mental Health Homicide Investigation published in August 2022. It's a 146-page document that I have linked in my show notes. I urge you to read it if you want to know more about the background of this tragic case. Odessa Senior was a born and bred Northumbrian that lived in her home county for most of her life. After meeting her first husband in what would logically have been the 1960s, the pair moved to the market town of Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, around 180 miles south of Northumberland. They moved there with their three children, but the marriage did not last, so Odessa Senior and the kids moved back up to the county she called home. A green-fingered and kind-hearted lady, Odessa Senior loved tending to her garden, It was one of her favourite places to just sit and relax when the pressures of life became too much to bear. She worked a few jobs in her lifetime, including that of a hotel waitress and a nurse at a local nursery. Odessa Senior would meet another man whom she would marry, with the pair bringing one child into the world, a daughter whom they named Odessa after her mum. Odessa Tammy Carey Jr. was born around 1984 and may have struggled to bond with her three older half-siblings due to the massive age gap. All three of Odessa Sr.'s children to her first husband were in their teenage years when Odessa Jr. was born. It was when Odessa Jr. was born that Odessa Sr.'s world started closing in on her. An extraordinary amount of mental health issues concerning her youngest child would lead to Odessa Senior suffering not only mentally, but physically. I'll come on to some of Odessa Senior's health problems later in the episode, as I don't want to jump too far ahead. According to Odessa Junior's older half-siblings, the youngster witnessed multiple instances of domestic violence towards her mother by her father. That is thought to have been one of the triggers that led to Odessa Jr.'s future mental health problems, although I'll let you be the judge based on the rest of the information I've yet to provide. Behavioural problems began as early as the late 80s when Odessa Jr. was just four or five years old. The domestic abuse she is said to have witnessed led to an attention-seeking personality that would resort to extreme acts of violence. Each of the family's pets would be subjected to physical abuse from the youngster, which quickly escalated to self-harm. Odessa Jr. was also a fiercely jealous child and resented anyone her mother showed more interest in than her. As with many aspects of this story, a lot of what Odessa Jr. thought wasn't necessarily true. Rather, it was how her brain interpreted what she was seeing. I have said it numerous times in the past, but it's worth me reiterating that I'm not telling you this to justify the crimes committed by Odessa Jr. I deem it of high importance to make you aware of as many of the facts as possible to allow you, the listener, to form an opinion based on objective facts free from bias. According to Odessa Jr., the death of her grandma, by whom I assume she meant Odessa Sr.'s mum, led to a change in the way her mum behaved towards her. Having said that, 
No sources I used indicated what she meant by that statement and gave no indication as to how Odessa Sr.'s behaviour changed. It doesn't appear that Odessa Jr.'s dad reserved his physical abuse for his wife. Whilst attending her respective primary and secondary schools, Odessa Jr. had several notes on her file regarding injuries she'd sustained, although whether they specifically referenced having been caused by her dad is unknown. Kids have accidents at school. We know this. Mine scripted these the other week. I was under an accident form. We must remember that Odessa Jr. will have attended school in the 90s as well, and things were a lot different back then, reporting-wise. By the age of 10, Odessa Jr.'s mental health would start to deteriorate rapidly. She was once admitted to A&E after ingesting some acetone she acquired from her school. That's the stinky stuff used in nail polish and varnish removers, amongst other toxic items. Thankfully, someone witnessed her doing so and she was able to fully recover in hospital. One of the nurses looking after Odessa Jr. at that time was told by the 10-year-old that she'd previously tried to slash her wrists but was unsuccessful. Imagine hearing that from a 10-year-old. To hear it from anyone must be heartbreaking. To hear it from a kid in primary school must have been tough. Odessa Jr. told the nurse that she wasn't sure she would do it again but provided no reassurance that she wouldn't. Over the next couple of years, Odessa Jr. began displaying behaviour in school that the teachers described as odd, frequently getting into bother and exhibiting signs of depression, such as persistent low mood. Odessa Jr. told a school nurse on one occasion that she wanted to be taken into care because she was so unhappy. She changed her mind, but the decision would soon be taken out of the then 12-year-old's hands. A doctor assessed her mental health and concluded she had depression. To combat this, the doctor prescribed Odessa Jr. 25 milligrams of amitriptyline, an antidepressant medication that we've discussed several times on British murders. The dosage was to be taken once, nightly, presumably to help her sleep. In roughly 1997, Odessa Jr. was referred to the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Team at the Linhope Unit in Ashington, Northumberland. She was required to take part in therapy sessions, both individually and with her family, and was also moved to a special school to continue her studies in a safer environment. By April 1997, Odessa Jr. had made a name for herself as a rebellious and violent pupil at the school after getting into several fights, two of which were labelled as being serious. Odessa Jr.'s defence was that her fellow pupils were bullying her. They would allegedly call her all sorts of nasty names and isolate her from the rest of her classmates. It's safe to say she hated attending the special school. A school report dated May 1997 stated that Odessa Jr. told one of the nurses she often had suicidal thoughts and had tried to kill herself on more than one occasion. She had also reportedly poured water over herself at school and threw a teapot at her mum whilst at home before briefly running away. It doesn't state anywhere the temperature of the water she poured over herself, or if the teapot was full or just boiled, etc. A lot of the low-level facts are missing from this story, which only speaks to how much the system would fail both Odessa Jr. and Sr. Odessa Jr. would soon be diagnosed with mixed emotional and conduct disorder. For a four-week period in September 1998, when Odessa Jr. was 14, She was placed with a foster family under Section 20 of the Children Act 1989. That law reads as follows. 
Every local authority shall provide accommodation for any child in need within their area who appears to them to require accommodation as a result of a. There being no person who has parental responsibility for him b. His being lost or having been abandoned or c. The person who has been caring for him being prevented whether or not permanently and for whatever reason from providing him with suitable accommodation or care. After those first four weeks, Odessa Jr. appears to have moved in with another family member for a brief period before, I assume, moving back home to live with her mum. Again, a lot of the details from this period of her life are missing. She was excluded in July 1999, not for the first time, but by September of that year, she had plans made for her by the Education Authority to reintegrate her back into the state school system. The transition would be aided by a four-month period spent at a pupil referral unit, a type of school specifically set up to provide education for children unable to attend a mainstream school. By January 2000, Odessa Jr. was back in a regular school, but she'd picked up a couple of bad habits along the way. According to Odessa Sr., the teenager had begun drinking alcohol and smoking weed regularly. I must note here that no reports of Odessa Jr.'s drug and alcohol use were made at the time and there were no subsequent inquiries made. It was around that time that Odessa Jr. registered with Seton Park Medical Group, the same GP practice Odessa Sr. was already registered with. From what I can tell, Odessa Jr. may not have lived at home at that point as the mother and daughter had different addresses on their respective files. That caused safeguarding issues which I'll come on to later. Odessa Jr.'s time liaising with the Linhope unit ceased in April 2000 after she was discharged and before long she fell pregnant to her boyfriend whom she was spending most nights of the week with. She was 17 at the time and gave birth the following year, 2001. Bringing the story back to Odessa Sr., she suffered some mental health problems of her own in 2002 after her second marriage broke down. That combined with Odessa Jr.'s mental health problems, led to Odessa Sr. being prescribed with antidepressants. In December 2002, she was discharged to the care of community mental health services and began exhibiting physical health problems also. At some point in her life, Odessa Sr. had cancer but managed to survive. No time frame was given regarding her illness, so I wasn't sure where to insert this information. I figured here was as good a place as any. Odessa Sr.'s time spent in the care of community mental health services ceased in January 2003 after she was discharged back to the care of her GP at Seaton Park. Later that year, Odessa Jr.'s GP referred her to the Northumberland Tyne and Weir NHS Foundation Trust, which is now known as Cumbria Northumberland Tyne and Weir Community Mental Health Services, or CNTW for short. The reason for the referral was Odessa Jr.'s drug use, which was becoming more of a concern by the day. Despite being given several appointments to attend, Odessa Jr. failed to turn up to any of them, meaning her issues remained untreated. Both Odessa Sr. and Jr. struggled significantly in 2004 after the death of Jr.'s dad, Sr.'s second husband. He had lost his battle with cancer and left his house to his daughter in his will. As much as you might think that was a blessing... The house in question was apparently in a state of disrepair, so it only caused further stress to Odessa Jr., who will have been 20 at the time. 
In January of the following year, 2005, Odessa Sr. was formally diagnosed with a recurrent depressive disorder and generalised anxiety disorder, for which she was prescribed more antidepressant meds by a doctor. She was struggling to cope, and her ex-husband dying was a key factor. Other factors including living next to noisy neighbours and Odessa Jr. moving out. She relied heavily on her daughter and other family members due to her other physical issues, which included arthritis and chronic insomnia. A brief stay in hospital ended in February 2005 when she was discharged and sent home, but she was still monitored from afar by a consultant psychiatrist to ensure her medication was accurately prescribed. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. Three years later, in August 2008, Odessa Sr. finally felt strong enough to stop attending her doctor's appointments at the hospital's outpatient unit. She wrote a letter to her GP explaining how she was feeling much better and had a more positive outlook on life. By February 2009, Odessa Sr. would be formally discharged from the care of secondary mental health services after being assessed by an occupational therapist. Odessa Jr., on the other hand, was not progressing like her mum. She was admitted to A&E twice between December 2008 and January 2009 after self-harming. She was also continuing to use illicit substances. Between 2009 and 2015, Odessa Jr. was under the watchful care of Early Intervention in Psychosis Services, whom I'll refer to going forward as EIP. I say she was under the watchful care... I'll leave it to you to decide. An EIP team is a team of healthcare professionals set up specifically to work with people who have experienced their first episode of psychosis. The typical treatment for such patients is antipsychotic medication and talking therapies, but the effect the meds can have on you can vary and the list of potential side effects is vast. If you're wondering where Odessa Jr.'s child was during this story, it appears they were primarily cared for by their father. An initial assessment into providing safe care for the child was completed in February 2009 by Children's Services, who concluded that the child was in their father's care. Odessa Jr. began seeing a new partner later in 2009, but the relationship appears to have been a toxic one. She stated that her partner was physically abusive towards her, and she regularly turned up at appointments with bruises all over her face. Odessa Jr.'s new partner once threatened her with a knife after drinking alcohol, one source reported. It wasn't all one-sided, though. Odessa Jr. once attacked her partner after a heated argument and bit their face, removing a small portion of their cheek. Odessa Jr. then reportedly chewed and swallowed the skin. Surprisingly, her partner did not press charges after the attack, but the relationship soon ended in September 2009. By September 2010, Odessa Jr. had been prescribed quetiapine, an antipsychotic medication typically used to help combat the symptoms associated with schizophrenia and mood disorders such as bipolar disorder. Odessa Jr.'s diagnosis was non-organic psychosis, although a quick bit of research leads me to believe that's a bit of an outdated term. As the years went by, Odessa Jr.'s psychotic episodes worsened. She complained to her GP in 2013 and 2014 about pains in her uterus as she claimed to have dysuria or painful urination. Each time her GP assessed her, no physical issues were found, indicating that her problems were created due to her vulnerable mental health. Odessa Jr. would also claim that her veins were swelling and pulsing, 
and that she frequently witnessed people breaking into a house, but it all appears to have been in her head. More self-harm occurred, as did an overdose that led to a brief stay in hospital. By February 2016, Odessa Jr. had been sectioned, by which I mean she was detained in St. George's Park, a mental health hospital, under the Mental Health Act 1983. She remained there for a month before being discharged in March 2016. You may notice a theme here. Odessa Jr. constantly relapsed as her mental health deteriorated, but the support she was given would later be deemed insufficient. Three months after her daughter was discharged, Odessa Sr. visited her GP, complaining of joint pain. It was thought that her physical symptoms were worsening due to the stress of worrying about everything her daughter was doing and going through. Odessa Jr. had no idea who her mum was, according to Odessa Sr., and even headbutted her on one occasion. Odessa Sr. informed the police officers that it was the first time her daughter had assaulted her, but other family members would later inform the authorities that wasn't quite true. It would subsequently be revealed that there was no record or coding in the health records to indicate Odessa Sr. was vulnerable or a victim of domestic abuse. It was not explored and no risk assessment was ever completed. That same month, June 2016, Odessa Jr. went to A&E and stated she was pregnant. Her concern was that she was now bleeding and she was worried about the health of her baby. Doctors at the hospital soon discovered that Odessa Jr. was not pregnant, but paranoia? Well, that was a symptom of her psychosis. Odessa Jr. was sectioned for another month, this time detained at Beckfield Psychiatric Intensive Care Unit in Sunderland. She was discharged on July 4th, 2016. 2017 and 2018 were very worrying years, and a lot went on, so I'll summarise. In 2017, Odessa Jr. visited her GP and A&E on several occasions. Here is a list of some of the problems she claimed to have. Pains in her legs. Joint pain. Abdominal symptoms with swelling on and off. Intrusive thoughts. Command hallucinations. Those are auditory hallucinations that instruct the sufferer to act in specific ways. She believed that small worms had been placed in her food bags. She felt a wriggling sensation in her body as a result. She jarred one of her legs after exiting a moving vehicle and felt she had nerve damage as her leg was numb. On each occasion, apart from when she exited a moving vehicle, no physical symptoms were found, although it's worth noting she had fallen down a set of stairs at one point in her past, which led to some nerve damage and altered sensations in her left leg. She was referred for x-rays and tested for parasites, but the results of those tests aren't clear. One assumes they came back negative for broken bones and tapeworms, etc. In the fall of 2017, Odessa Jr. complained about how hard she was finding it caring for her mum, but her family confirmed she was doing no such thing. In October 2017, Odessa Jr. was convinced that someone had entered the home she shared with her mum, despite all the windows and doors being locked. An adult concern notice was made by police, and upon visiting the property, they were told by Odessa Sr. that nobody had entered the house and nothing was missing. Odessa Jr. was also taken to hospital at some point that year after taking some of her mum's morphine. Whilst there, Odessa Jr. was assessed by a consultant psychiatrist who, in turn, relayed their concerns to her GP. Odessa Jr. claimed that her mum falsely believed the people visiting her house from time to time were her family members, when in fact, they were imposters. 
Odessa Sr. confirmed that her daughter had not been taking her prescribed meds, which had led to a further deterioration of her condition. By the way, no actions were recorded after Odessa Sr. disclosed that her daughter had taken her morphine. Odessa Sr.'s family continued to express their concerns that Odessa Jr. would one day seriously hurt her mum, but she was fiercely loyal to her daughter. She reassured them that she would be fine and that she'd come to no harm. Bringing it back to Odessa Jr., here's a list of some of the problems she had in 2018. She thought she had cancer, but nothing abnormal was found when she was assessed. She spat on her mum. She threw a chair at her mum and later claimed it was not her mother she threw it at. Rather, it was an imposter. She called a family member a paedophile. She climbed the roof of St George's Park after stating she had seen round spheres on the roof from her window. She'd been transferred to the unit's Almouth ward after initially being sectioned on April 12, 2018, albeit to a different ward. The police were not informed of that incident on the roof. She said she heard voices continuously. She said she was frequently assaulted through the night and people were always trying to kill her. She believed people were being hypnotised in their sleep and claimed that some of her belongings had gone missing as a result. Despite all that, Odessa Jr. was discharged from Almouth Ward on May 30th, 2018. Worse still, she was discharged without a CPA meeting. That stands for Care Programme Approach. That exit meeting is vital with discharged patients as it's where the people involved in their care develop a discharge care plan for addressing their needs. All the while, Odessa Sr.'s physical symptoms were getting worse. One source indicated she had Raynaud syndrome or Raynaud's phenomenon, which affects blood circulation. When you're cold, anxious or stressed, your fingers and toes may change colour. She struggled to walk due to a limited mobility and was often taken out in a wheelchair by her family members. Despite her struggles, she continued to live independently, although one of her children, not Odessa Jr., was her primary carer. The last time Odessa Sr. visited her GP was in January 2019. She was having difficulty breathing and was prescribed antibiotics to fight away a suspected chest infection. In March 2019, the month before our main timeline of events, Mental health services attempted on several occasions to have Odessa Jr. pay them a visit to review her situation. Odessa Jr. failed to turn up to any of the scheduled appointments and any phone call attempts made by her GP were ignored. By that point, Odessa Jr. was said to have been technically homeless but would check in with a family member once a week for a catch-up and a shower. As far as the family member knew, Odessa Jr. was collecting her medication as planned and taking it but that may not have been the case. Sharon O'Brien, her partner, would later reveal in an interview that she once saw Odessa Jr. self-harm in such an extreme way that she'd cut her own legs down to the bone. She'd also witnessed her partner attempted to smash through the wall of her house in the hope of gaining access to the next-door neighbour's house as she believed they wanted her family dead. Finally, Odessa Jr. is said to have killed her own cat, and unsuccessfully tried to flush its body down the toilet. Okay, that does it for the background of this case. A lot to take in. Let's now get into the main timeline of events. Odessa Sr. was last seen alive by family members at 5.30pm one evening in early April, which I believe was the 6th. We're in 2019, remember? At some point that evening, Odessa Jr. entered her mum's bedroom without her knowing, armed with a mallet. 
she proceeded to use the mallet to attack her mum, who was on her bed, repeatedly until she succumbed to the onslaught. Odessa Sr. did her best to defend herself, as evidenced by her defensive wounds, but she was no match for her much younger and physically stronger daughter. A minimum of eight blows were made to Odessa Sr.'s head using the mallet, which led to multiple skull fractures and facial injuries. The attack had also caused severe brain damage. A subsequent post-mortem confirmed Odessa Sr. was beaten to death. In the midst of a psychotic episode and with her mum dead on her bed, Odessa Jr. left the house, withdrew some money and purchased some cider before returning home. Once back in her mum's bedroom, she proceeded to remove her mum's head using a pair of scissors and some kitchen knives. After that, Odessa Jr. took her mum's decapitated head to a nearby bathroom and began removing her brain. The scissors, knives and mallet were later found dumped in the bath, covered in blood. Odessa Jr. then put her mum's head inside a pillowcase and placed it inside a plastic carrier bag. CCTV footage available online shows her then leaving the house with the bag containing her mum's head in her hand. She decided to visit family friend John Murray at his allotment, where the two had a brief chat, before Odessa Jr. removed her mum's head from the bag and kissed it on the forehead in front of John. John recalled Odessa Jr. wiping blood off her hands and arms with baby wipes before doing so. Highly concerned and no doubt traumatised by what he'd just witnessed, John immediately phoned Sharon, who in turn phoned the police. Northumbria police officers then made their way to the house in Ashington for a wellness check on both mother and daughter, but all they found was the headless body of Odessa Sr. Odessa Jr. had gone to her uncle's house after speaking with John and placed the bag containing her mum's head inside a cupboard under his kitchen sink. She then went up into his loft where she was later captured. Police body cam footage shows her hiding in the loft. That was on April 8th, 2019. That footage is especially creepy, but isn't perhaps as disturbing as a family video taken by Odessa Jr. and uploaded to her YouTube channel on March 15, 2017. It shows the whole family, including Odessa Sr., sitting down at a table at what looks like a pub or a restaurant. It's believed that Odessa Jr. disposed of some bloodstained clothing at some point, possibly by using the log burner at John Murray's allotment. Initially arrested on a murder charge, Odessa Jr. was remanded to HMP Low Newton in County Durham, where her partner Sharon visited her. The visit did not go well though. Odessa Jr. had no idea who Sharon was and insisted she was a clone. The real Sharon, so said Odessa Jr., had been killed and replaced by an imposter. She was also adamant that the woman she killed was not her real mum. Again, an imposter was who she thought it was. In March 2020 at Newcastle Crown Court, Odessa Jr. was deemed too mentally unwell to stand trial for murder and was unable to enter a plea. Judge Paul Sloan said to the jury, Your task is not to return a verdict of guilty or not guilty of murder. Your task is to decide whether the defendant did the act charged against her. That they did. They found Odessa Jr. guilty of killing Odessa Sr. Rather than being charged with murder, a charge of manslaughter by reason of diminished responsibility was the outcome. On March 12, 2020, Judge Sloan handed Odessa Jr. a hospital order, meaning she would be remanded to Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire indefinitely. She will also be subject to a restriction order before she can ever be discharged from hospital. 
In his closing statement, Judge Sloan said, Odessa Carey Sr. was a caring, loving lady who, in turn, was much loved by her family. She is greatly missed. Her loss is all the harder to bear given the tragic circumstances in which it occurred. As I have stressed throughout these proceedings, you have not been tried for a criminal offence, nor have you been convicted of a criminal offence. On the anniversary of Odessa Sr.'s death in April 2020, her family planned on going out for a meal to celebrate her life. Sadly, due to COVID-19 lockdown restrictions in the UK at the time, they were unable to do so. They couldn't even visit Odessa Sr.'s grave. Meanwhile, at Rampton, Odessa Jr. was still none the wiser to the fact her mum was dead at her hands. Sharon said, She still doesn't know her mum's dead. She still hasn't got a clue. She has been on the phone to a friend and she keeps asking if anyone has seen her mum. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, a joint domestic homicide and independent mental health homicide review was published in August 2022 and detailed the failings of many services. There are 14 key findings within the review. Rather than read them all out because some of them are quite lengthy, I just urge you to read the reference in my show notes. The whole file can be accessed there. 146 pages, if you can bear that. It is really fascinating. It's a very, very disturbing read. But if you want to know more about the findings of this review and the background of the case, some things I may have left out just for time constraint reasons, please give that document a read. Odessa Jr.'s older half-brother Lawrence Crook spoke with ITV News in October 2022 and said he'd previously warned authorities about the danger she posed to their mum. He said, I'd told authorities. My brother had told authorities. Look, she's going to hurt mum. You've got to do something for her. You've got to help my sister as well as help mum. We were let down by the authorities, doctors and hospitals because they weren't listening to what we had to say. They were more concerned about what health problems my sister had. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesperson said, We will invest an additional £2.3 billion per year into mental health services by 2024, including almost £1 billion for community mental health care for adults with severe mental illness. This will give 370,000 adults and older adults with severe mental health illnesses greater choice and control over their care and support them to live well within their communities. Lawrence isn't convinced. Regarding the report, he said, Reading it, yeah, they're going to change this, they're going to change that. But to be honest, nah. I don't think it's going to happen. And that was the story of Odessa Carey Jr. Thanks again, AGW, for suggesting that case. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I was originally going to read you 12 new reviews this week, but I think that's a little bit overkill considering how long this episode is already. I'm going to half it and do six this week and the rest next week and any new ones. Kerry left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled Great Show. It reads, Love the show and the fact that Stu only does modern British murders as other podcasts I've listened to only tend to talk about other countries' murders or really old cases that everyone already knows about. For example, Jack the Ripper. Stu has a really nice voice, could listen to him for hours. Thanks for all the hours of entertainment you've given me whilst I binge your old episodes. Also, have you ever thought about doing live tours in the UK with a Q&A afterwards? I can't say I've ever thought about that, Kerry. If people are interested, please reach out, let me know what you'd want to see from such a show. I'd have no idea how to put it together, but if the demand's there, we can work on it. Brooke left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled Perfect and Bite-Sized. It reads, I love this podcast. 
Stuart is funny and engaging. He tells the stories perfectly. Great little listen while I do my emails at work. Jenna's 7900 left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts Spain titled Fab. It reads, great to have a podcast that's full of UK crime. A real mix of stories from across the years. Tee up Kalina? Toop Kalina? Something. Left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts titled Love It. It reads, I just found this podcast. Hooked now. No faff and easy to follow. Great delivery. Thanks. You're welcome. The Major 360 left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts titled Amazing. It reads, Love the bite-sized format. Flows really well. We'll continue to listen for years on end. And the last one for this week was by Nella Elephant, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts titled Great Podcast. It reads, Started listening a few weeks back and I'm currently on season seven. I almost don't want to catch up because then what? I listen to you when I'm on my way to work and continue listening throughout my 10-hour shifts. You've recently started giving a content warning. And whilst I realise why you have done this, I can't help but say, Yes, Stuart, we know. It's a true crime podcast. We are here for the morbid details. Well presented and your hard work research in each case definitely shows. Looking forward to learning more about the lesser known murderers and learning new facts of the more well-known ones that I didn't realise. Thanks, Stuart. Keep up the good work. For the record, I'm still going to keep giving my content warning. Thank you, Kerry, Brooke, Jenna's, Toop Kalina, The Major 360 and Nella Elephant for leaving the show such lovely reviews. Suppose you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode. You can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or donate on a one-off basis via Buy Me A Coffee, you can find the links for each of those on BritishMurders.com. Please continue emailing case suggestions to britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com or message me on social media, drop me a comment on YouTube. You'll not only get the episode covered, but you'll get a cheeky shout out too. And that's it for another episode. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio.